0: Well, good morning. Trust you've made it well through Black Friday. You're still surviving. You're here. And uh, I want to just open in a word of prayer as uh, God just focuses our hearts this morning. Lord, we just acknowledge this morning that we, we do come from all kinds of things that put pressures on our lives, that pull us, uh, draw us in different directions, that we come here with, personal circumstances, life circumstances, work circumstances, family circumstances, and it can cause us to take our eyes off you. And God, I just pray that in these moments right now that we would just rest in you, that we would know that we are beloved, that you love us, and that you want to speak to us through your spirit, through your word. So God, help us to be attentive, and we give this time to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this uh, Sunday is our last Sunday on our series called Follow Me, just as that last song that we sang, which really captures this idea of discipleship that we've been talking about as we think about discipleship primarily as this invitation of Jesus to follow. Jesus called each of his disciples to just simply follow me, and as a church we've unpacked uh, some ideas of how to follow Jesus as we see in Scripture and as kind of out of just how we articulate our, our mission In these four areas, that we would actually be intentional about how we create community, uh, that we follow in community, not alone and in isolation, that we would experience and also model the love of Jesus, that we'd be intentional in training one another uh, in obedience, and also, as we're going to talk about today, that we would both serve others and proclaim the gospel. And so these capture in a way that is helpful, that help us to understand what it means to be a disciple. And I have said... Many times, and I will continue to say this, I am convinced that there is nothing that will have more impact on our church and on our lives of transformation than if we can actually understand, live out, and embed these discipleship steps in the DNA of our lives. I'm convinced of that. I really am. I don't think there's anything that is more important for us as a church to understand, to live out, because these capture the essence of what it means to be a a disciple of Jesus. And as we've talked about throughout this fall, they're, they're not exhaustive in that they cover everything, but they are helpful and they cover the big pieces of what we see Jesus doing and Jesus inviting us uh, to do as well. And so that's how we, we think of uh, the importance of being the church. And again, if you uh, just think of church, and when you think of that word church, you think of it as just coming to sing some songs and to listen to message on a Sunday morning and maybe gather with like-minded people and friends and so on. And if that's all we think about is the church, then we've missed the point. The church is so much more than that. That's part of it. That's part of it, but it's so much more than that. And that's why years ago we we actually articulated really intentionally our understanding of church in a more robust way. And so there's this one diagram that we have that, that talks about how to think about the church in these Uh, we've called them core ministries. I often refer to them now as these are contexts of discipleship. So when you see these discipleship steps that are up here, it's like that we would do these things in the context of all four of these things. As we come and gather as a corporate worship gathering, as we are involved in God's mission locally and globally to the ends of the earth, as we're engaged in small groups and connecting in a smaller setting one-on-one with each other, And as we understand that our family is a primary context of discipleship, whatever our family looks like, and they have all kinds of different brokenness and expressions, we understand that, but that the family is a primary context. And so that these would be contexts of discipleship, that we could live these things out in a way that uh, helps us to see and experience the transformation of Christ Christ in our lives. So that's our passion, is to see people transformed for Jesus. Jesus. And that's why we talk about this. That's why this call to discipleship is so significant and so important. <coughs> Excuse me. Two weeks ago, uh, Kevin and James uh, started, as we've been taking three weeks with each of these steps, Kevin and James talked about the key aspect of what the gospel is. And so when we think about this last one of, of uh, proclaiming the gospel, that part, they were talking about what is the gospel. And they were looking at the centrality of Jesus and his life and ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension, and how that forgiveness of sins and what was done on the cross is so central to what the gospel is all about. Last week, Brad talked about uh, what it means to proclaim, and the idea that we need to not only just live out the gospel, that we have to proclaim the gospel, that we need boldness. And if you look in the New Testament, what the early church prayed for, the number one thing they prayed for was boldness in their witness, boldness in their testimony, boldness in the way that they would proclaim the living Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And so the idea that we need to proclaim and use our words in all kinds of ways is also uh, so important in this. And so today I want to focus a little bit more on the serving others part, but also the tension of the two and the beauty of the two as they're held together. Because my experience has been, and likely yours maybe too, is that we often make a false dichotomy of these two things. When we we look at these things and we think about serving others and proclaiming the gospel, we make this false dichotomy that it's about one or the other. And denominations have split over this. Churches have split over this. Where one says, no, 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 it's all about actually caring for the needs of people and serving the poor and the marginalized and the hungry. And others say, no, 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 it's about proclaiming salvation and Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. And you can't read scripture without seeing that it's both of these. And so we make this false dichotomy, and we push against each other, and we have these great battles over which one is really what we're called to do, and I think Jesus would say uh, both, because they go together. They go hand in hand, and they're so important to hold together. So last week, Brad had some classic texts in Romans chapter 10 of the need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done. That if you declare Jesus as Lord and believe that he is raised from the dead, that you will be saved. And unless somebody tells you, unless you're able to hear that, how is it that you can be saved? And so we need tellers and proclaimers and preachers, and we all need to be engaged in order to proclaim and teach about this. We do it in our own ways, but the reality that our actions alone are not enough. They're important, but they're not enough. 1 Peter 3 says, if someone asks you about your hope, be ready to tell about the hope that you have. When people ask you, hey, why are you this way? Why do you serve in this way? Why do you do what you do? To be able to proclaim and ready to proclaim the reason for the hope that you have and to tell this story of God. I've often talked about these two areas of proclamation and testimony. And for me, it's been helpful to understand that we We speak these words and we speak of this hope that we have in in really two ways. And one of them is proclamation, is proclaiming what God has done through the course of history as we read through Scripture, and we can proclaim what God has done in Jesus Christ. But then there's also our testimony, which is how our story intersects with God's story. And our testimony of how God has transformed us and is transforming us. And so we give testimony to what God has done. And those are some of the ways that we proclaim this gospel about our lives and God's impact on our lives and what he has done throughout history. But throughout the teachings of Moses and Abraham and the prophets and Jesus and Paul, you will see all the way through that we are also called to live the gospel. To love others in practical ways. What you might call the social gospel or a holistic gospel witness. Meaning to care for the poor, the marginalized, the vulnerable, and the oppressed with food, clothing, shelter, justice, protection. One of the dangers of trying to simplify and summarize the gospel is that we can miss so much of what it really is. And as I said, yes, it is about the death. It's first of all about the birth and life and ministry and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Jesus is the center and the core of the gospel. But but it's also this whole story of God that spills backwards from Jesus and forwards into eternity, and it's the hope and promise for all creation of restored intimacy with God through Jesus Christ. And so we're invited to join what God started in Abraham and the call to the people of Israel to bring the blessing of God to all the nations of the earth. And this blessing of God has many forms. It has many, many expressions. But we're invited to join this story and follow Jesus in this way. And so I want to look at two texts today that I think have many similarities. And I'd invite you to just sort of put your finger in in both texts. And again, if you have an electronic device, you can figure out how you're going to put your finger in both texts. But I'll let you figure that out. Uh, Isaiah 58 and and Matthew 5. And I want to start in, in Isaiah 58 where we see the prophet Isaiah... He's speaking to this people, the people of Israel, and he's challenged them. God is speaking through this prophet and saying, you know what, you think that you're doing so well with your ceremonial rituals, and he's speaking specifically about fasting and the Sabbath in this text. And through this, the prophet is saying, no, 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 you you don't realize that you're, you're getting it wrong. You're actually making a mockery of what God has intended for you to do. That your religion, rather than being a blessing to those around you, it's actually become a curse and it's become self-serving. You've been caught up in this religious ceremony of fasting, and yet it's fasting in all the ways that God actually hasn't asked you to fast. One commentator points out, interestingly, that only twice in the Old Testament does God actually command the people of Israel to fast. But hundreds of times he places... Uh, commands on his people to treat others with respect, justice, and kindness. And especially those who are weak and vulnerable. And so throughout God's story, he wants to bless his people. And it begins with the people of Israel to take this blessing, and now Jesus invites us to follow him and continue this call to bless his people with this good news of the gospel. And so this behavior that God calls the people of Israel to, and also what he calls us to as new covenant people, is a behavior and a life that is self-forgetful and outward-looking. And how God's light of justice is to shine through his people and to be a light to all nations. And so let me just read what he says here in Isaiah 58. I'm just going to read verse 6 to 12. And he says this, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? and When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. And you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. It's an incredible picture of the kingdom of God. It's an incredible picture of what God is calling us to and inviting us to as His people. And to live as New Covenant people following Jesus in this way and and of being the light that God calls us to be, his light of justice, a light to all nations. We see this theme of light in the Old Testament. We see it in many places in Isaiah, including here in this text. It says that your light will break forth like the dawn. It says your things broken will be rebuilt again. Things old and useless will become renewed again. Things dry and dusty will find new life, like a well-watered spring that doesn't run out. This imagery of a repairer of broken walls, a restorer of streets with dwellings, it's this beautiful picture of the kingdom. This restoring, renewing, rebuilding. And you know, those things have many forms, and the restoring, renewing, rebuilding that we are called to do has many expressions and many ways that that can happen. One of the books that as a church we found really helpful is a book called When Helping Hurts, and some of you are very familiar with it. And it's a book that helps us to understand how to do this in a way that doesn't actually hurt or hinder the people that you're helping. And in this book, they helpfully articulate three kind of ways to think about how we do this, like it's talked about in Isaiah 58. How do we do this? In three ways that they talk about are relief, rehabilitation, and development. And to think through, what is it that we're doing at this moment? What is it that you're doing? Is this, is this relief work where we're actually you know, trying to address the urgent and temporary provision to give provision for somebody in crisis, where something has happened, there's been either a natural or a man-made crisis, that there is immediate suffering. And so there's relief work that kind of comes in and does that in a variety of different ways. Then there's rehabilitation where we begin to restore to the pre-crisis condition. And so it happens kind of immediately after the bleeding has stopped. And it's sort of like, now how do we restore to the pre-crisis conditions? And so uh, rehabilitation is kind of the next stage that we work with people who have experienced crisis. And the third piece is development, which is more long-term, which is this ongoing kind of change that moves all people involved, both the helpers and the helped, Closer to being in right relationship with God, with self, with others, and the rest of creation. And how development is not done to people or for people, but development is done with people. And we do it together. Relationship is the key. And as you think about these three kind of categories, you, what strikes me is in our work with Panama, and we've shared about our partnership in Panama, the work that we do there is, is development work. We do it with them. We actually work in the kingdom of God with them and they actually spur us on to be more faithful in our work and we spur them on to be more faithful in our work and it's an ongoing relationship over a long period of time that we engage in God's kingdom work together. This year in our Advent project, we have the buckets of hope and there's information that you have about that coming up and you'll get more information in the weeks ahead about that with MCC of actually providing our goal is to have to put together about 400 buckets of hope, and that's an expression of relief. It's relief work of actually helping people in crisis all around the world in different ways, and so we, we try to do different things at different times where we will focus on different aspects of this, of being, of living out this discipleship step of both serving others and proclaiming the gospel. Well, let's turn to the other passage in Matthew chapter 5 and look at the teaching of Jesus and how, in many ways, he picks up on this theme and expands it and And the whole Sermon on the Mount, which this is the context, we're going to look at verse 13 to 16 only. But we see that Jesus also calls us to be light. Just like the prophet Isaiah. says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so as followers of Christ, just as God called the people of Israel, we're called to be a light to the world. To bring the blessing of God to the world. To be salt and light. And it's a call to reimagine our role in the world, God's agents of blessing, redemption, restoring, renewing. You know, salt has many applications. I think in our modern era, we don't fully appreciate with refrigeration and so on, the the need for salt that other uh, people groups have where it's used for preservation and it it helps keep things fresh over a long period of time. It also flavors things, as you know, and that's what we most familiar know about it. But it has many aspects to it. But in simple terms, salt is like a necessity, a vital necessity for life. And so in a similar way, it's like our lives matter to others, is what Jesus is saying. Your, your life is actually a vital necessity for other people. And how you live out your faith is a vital necessity for other people. And Jesus also says here to his followers, he says, you are the light of the world, which is a really interesting and humbling call. Because in other places, like in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, which makes sense to us. In, In the first chapter of John, John articulates how Jesus came into the world as the light and how the darkness flees. And we understand that, but here in this text, as Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying to his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. As you have the Spirit of God, as you have my Spirit in you, and you go and be the church, you are the light of the world. And it can't be hidden. True light can't be hidden. It's like a a city on a hill and you can't actually hide it. it. It's just so obvious for people to see. And you don't take a light and put it under... A bowl or a basket or something you put it up on a table and and a stand for it to shine for it to do its purpose and salt in the same way needs to do its purpose so jesus is saying that we are to be intentional sojourners into the world knowing who we are and knowing how we are different and how we are called to make a difference and it's an impact of both gospel teaching and behavioral witness in other words, serving others and proclaiming the gospel. They go together. We see that in Jesus' two greatest commandments, the great commandment and the great commission. In Matthew 22, where he was asked, "You know what's, what's the greatest command in scripture? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And the second is just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. And then in Matthew 28 where he commissions and he sets the church in motion and he says, I, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey. And so we're called to do these two things together. So how we live matters and what we say matters. Word and deed together. I had a Bible school prof many years ago, who was probably the best teacher I ever had, best teacher I ever experienced. He was a phenomenal teacher, articulate, wise, insightful, theologically so robust. People were drawn to him. But also he had multiple sexual affairs on his wife during this whole time of teaching an untold devastation on all kinds of people around him. And so the words were there, and the teaching was there, but what is the life that is being lived? On a much smaller scale, I, I also, during that era, I had a student athlete who was a young man of incredible integrity and incredible modeling. Like, this was a, a young man who just lived the faith, and he was an intense athlete, and he was disciplined, and he just did so many, and people looked up to him. But I remember saying to him a number of times, just saying, you know what, you need to say something once in a while. He was such a quiet person, and he would never say anything. And so his life could have had so much more impact, and it has, as he's grown and matured, and he's learned to get his voice and to speak and to share more of the hope for which he has. And so to me, again, it talks about this need to have our words and deeds going together and making a difference, which is why... This last discipleship step is one thing with two parts. And they should never be separated. And I think for every one of us, we probably, hopefully, maybe, have a deep desire within us uh, to change the world and to make a difference in the world. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just want to change your spouse. That's fair. Um, Maybe you just want to change something in your own life. I get that. I like that too. Um, But I think deep within us, God has put something that we want to make a difference. We want to make a difference in somebody's life. We want to make a difference somewhere in the world. And so it was earlier this year, and and Lisa and I were talking, and I don't even know how we got on the topic, but the question that we were at, it was one of these big questions, um, which she often doesn't really like, but I like to talk about them. And I said, so if you wanted to change the world, what would you do? We were having this conversation around that. And it was interesting, because I hadn't really thought about the question for myself, and when I stopped and thought about it for myself, I really quickly came up with an answer. And I was actually surprised at how quickly I came up with an answer. And I thought, I'd want to pastor a church. And here's why. Because I thought, just imagine. Imagine that you actually have hundreds of people who willingly come together on a weekly basis to hear teaching around the Word of God. Like who willingly gather to kind of be inspired by the kingdom of God and by who Jesus is and, and come together for that kind of teaching. Imagine that these same people actually go out into the week every week and go into their homes and go into their workplaces and go into their families and go into their sports teams and go into their schools and they actually have a desire to kind of live out their faith wherever it is that they go. And imagine that these same people actually gather together in small groups and they actually get together to pray for one another and they get together to encourage one another, and to spur one another on in love and good deeds, to inspire one another and to cheer each other on in the kingdom of God and the work that we're called to. And imagine if these people actually understood that their family context, in whatever expression it looks like, whether married or single, whether from a big family or a small family, whether from a, a family that has Many kids or no kids. Family that has many generations or few generations of of lots of people. And they just understood that the family and all of its expressions is a context of discipleship. And then imagine if these people also understood that this call was not just something to do locally in the city that they live, but actually it was something to take and be a part of in what God's doing around the world, both locally and globally. Just imagine. That's what struck me. And I thought, this is the potential of the church when it is serving others, proclaiming the gospel. This is why I get excited when I hear stories of people who are engaged in this kind of following of Jesus, this kind of discipleship. When individuals and small groups and families are doing different things, and I just celebrate when I hear these stories, and I hear many of them. Earlier this week, I sent out an email to some of our Attridge staff, and I just said, hey, send me one line of people in your sphere of influence, of of people that you see and know and that they're doing this in different ways and often behind the scenes. And I got back a whole bunch of things that added to my list that I had already started. And so I get excited when I see people and I hear of people like this. Like Jackie who sees her small quilting shop as a place of discipleship, creating community and sharing and experiencing the love of Jesus with whoever comes in the doors. Like Amy, who's leading a group of people in and learning herself how to love everybody always. Like Janelle, who volunteers on a prison ministry team that leads chapel times at a psych center once a month. Like Nathan and Judy, who are connected to their neighbors to care, pray, and encourage them, but also known for throwing a great annual block party every summer, and also serve global leaders in many countries of the world. Like Brady and Chanel, who serve and lead in youth in more ways than I can list. Like Ruth, Debbie, and Trish, who started a quilting program at the bridge to provide practical skills and also warmth to the many women in the core neighborhoods of our city. Like Jared, who literally gives the clothes off his back to people in an attempt to be less materialistic and more Christ-like. Like Like Don, a semi-retired person volunteering as a driver for the cancer clinic, sharing his time and his hope in Jesus with people who are often fearful and face an unknown future. Like Bob, Rena, Richard, Elaine, Faithfully and ongoing involvement and service with newcomers to Canada who came several years ago through sponsorship. Like Norm, who gives one morning a week to sweep, dust, and help wherever needed in the MCC thrift store. Like Chris, who works to diminish homelessness in our city through education and effective housing strategies through the Saskatoon Housing Initiatives Partnership. Like Sarah, who sacrifices work each summer to disciple kids at camp and leads a Project Serve team. Like Marlene, Passionate about discipling kids through the Christmas musical so the message of Jesus can be communicated to their families and to the community. Like Bob and Laura, who provide a massive Christmas meal every year as well as many expressions of tangible support and love to the poor and marginalized in Peru. Like Lisa, who prays for and seeks to intentionally encourage Starbucks staff and managers. Like Marge, who reads Scripture in the Daily Bread every morning to a fellow resident who's lost her sight. Like Dave, who serves soup, Uh, at the bridge on a regular basis. Like Jaden, who's leading others in studying Scripture, sharing testimonies, and serving those around them. Like Dick, who helps counsel and navigate people through life's turbulent turbulent waters. Like the group of eight who just went down to Guadalajara, Mexico to build and serve at the Matthew Training Center where national workers are being trained and sent out to the nations. Like Jody, who serves to help rescue those caught in the area of human sex trafficking. Like Marguerite and Dwight, who take their medical skills to the ends of the earth to bring hope and medical healing to those who could never afford it, like Lindy, leading a resettlement team, giving hours and hours of time to love our new Syrian family, like Marcy, serving at the bridge with women's ministry, like Janine, who coordinates shoebox collection to bless kids to the ends of the earth, like Mardell and Rob, praying through their neighborhood and responding to the needs that arise out of relationship, like Jan, who collects mittens, scarves, toques in December to donate to the bridge Christmas boxes for people. Like Janelle, who didn't go back to be YWAM staff in California because she felt God asking her to stay home and care for the people he puts in front of her right here. Like Jacob, who intentionally seeks to be a compassionate friend and a safe place for those who are hurting in his high school. And I could go on. And on. And on. <coughs> These are the people following Jesus. You are the people following Jesus. This list could be endless. Your name should be on this list. I just don't have time to include everybody. Serving others and proclaiming the gospel. So when I think of that question, how is it that we change the world? How is it that we join Jesus in his work, and in his invitation? It's like, be the church. Be a part of the church to actually live and proclaim this gospel in all the places that God calls us to. This is the stumbling, broken, beautiful local church. Anything but perfect, but filled with possibility. This is what inspires me. Last couple of verses I want to read for you that talk about how God sees us and this invitation to shine as we follow him. In Daniel 12, it says, Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. In Philippians chapter 2, God is working in you. He wants your plans and your acts to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Then you will be pure and without blame. You will be children of God without fault among sinful and evil people. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You will shine as you hold on tight to the word of life. First Peter they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is discipleship. Would you stand with me? I'd invite the worship team to come up as we pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you invite us to follow you that you have modeled and lived and walked a path that we can see and read about in your word that is so powerful and inspiring. You've given us your Holy Spirit to give us the desire and the power to do what pleases you. So Lord, I pray that you would give us more of your Holy Spirit. Give us boldness in our witness, Lord. As we live and proclaim this gospel, would you help us to be effective in order to be your blessing to the world. God, help us to change just our part of the world that you have called us to be in, and that we would make a noticeable difference because of who you are and what you have done, and that you are living in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.